We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. In the grand scheme of things, what we do isn't rocket science, and we should be enjoying it. I don't care at what level you play from second grade YMCA ball all the way through the pros. You know, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. Life's short, and if you don't, find something else to do. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back into the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Or maybe you're listening for the first time. This is episode number seven. I'm your host, John Little. Glad to be with you. I am a broadcaster out of the Dallas area. I'm a sports play-by-play nut. And I also host an afternoon show with Susie Solis on 1080 KRLD, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7, where we do all things news as well. So thank you for finding us, and thank you for your support of women's basketball. Just simply by listening to this podcast, you are saying thumbs up to women's basketball. And there's some great podcasts out there for it. So make sure to give all of us a listen and subscribe as well. You can do so uh, on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate us, review us, or you know, like us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you are here to hear from the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, Kelly Graves, and why wouldn't you? He is a fantastic chat. Uh, listen to some of our other podcasts as well. We had Megan Gustafson on the air. We had Tisha Pinachero in episode one. Tamika Catchings. Oh my goodness. Wasn't she great as well? Oh my gosh. Katie Smith last week. What an honor it was to have one of the top 20 players in WNBA history. And then a coach as well, currently in the league on the show. Coming up a little later on in the show, we're going to profile one of our teammates at HerHoopStats.com. Megan Gower does a great job putting together our WNBA power rankings each week and so much more on the site. We'll talk to Megan about that in just a little bit. But first... 
what you came here for, what I came here for, Kelly Graves, the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, and what a conversation this was. He took over Oregon. Uh, he's going into his sixth season in 2019-20, so he took over, what, you know, five years ago and has steadily built this Ducks program into a contender and then a breakout program in 2017 where they went all the way to the Elite Eight as a 10 seed. After that, uh, another Elite Eight appearance finally broke through to the Final Four last year. And don't forget, they pushed the national champion Baylor Bears right to the brink. Seemed to lead most of that game before coming up just a little bit short in the end. We got into that. We talked about his coaching philosophy. So mountains of great content here. Really hope you enjoy our conversation with Kelly Graves. And we found him in the middle of his summer. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I get the question all the time, uh, you know, what do you do in the off season? And the honest truth is I, I think I'm a little busier, you know, in the off season. I think during the season you can focus on your your team. You can focus on games, practice, and preparation for games. And, you know, in the off season, especially June, I find myself uh, on the golf course a lot, you know, with different fundraisers. Uh, last night I was at a wine event up in Salem. Uh, I think in June I have six golf tournaments, maybe even a seventh. Wow. Uh, that I that I do. And then there's the family time that you try to, to squeeze in like I am today and some speaking. And um, yeah, so it, it's kind of all over the place during the off season. I get to say no a lot between the months of November and April, uh, but I say yes a lot. Uh, the rest of the month. Well, sorry for making you say yes to one more thing here, <laughs> but we but we do appreciate your time for sure because uh, oh no, this is great. Uh, it, you know, just what a magical season for your team last year, making it to the final four. And I was just uh, last night going back and, and reliving some of that game uh, against Baylor. And what do you think your team learned from that trip to the final four last year? What do you hope they get out of that? A hunger to get back, and, and this time, uh, you know, uh, take it a take it a step further. I think, uh, you know, we showed ourselves, proved to ourselves that uh, you know we belong. We're 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 good enough to uh, to play on that kind of a stage. I certainly don't think the moment was too big, and you know, if we have one of those shooting nights that uh, is just kind of average for us, you know, there may have been a different outcome. Uh, I obviously got to always credit the defense. I you know Baylor was number one in the country in field goal percentage defense for a reason. Uh, they played against us, who we had the number one effective shooting percentage in the country. Uh, but down the stretch, you know, we just uh, we didn't make enough. And I thought we had the good looks. But uh, but I think, you know, our, our players, what they'll learn from it is, you know, we're going to be hungry to to get back there. I think once you get a taste of it, it's like, wow, this was great. And uh, we, we, we want to make sure we do it again. How did your speech after the game to that team differ than the famous bad bacon speech from a few years back, you know, at the, uh, at the end of, of your elite eight run, kind of as you guys were really breaking out, how is that different? That's what it's known as, huh? The bad bacon speech. Uh, that's what well, I'm that's calling good. it at least. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, I, I think then uh, the circumstances for those that don't remember was, uh, you know, after our, our run uh, as a 10 seed to the elite eight in 2017, we lost to, to Connecticut, ultimately, in Bridgeport. You know, I, I knew I had something special with all these young kids. I, I knew we were going to were gonna be back. This was a program that was uh, 
was on its way and just getting started. And, and so I think a lot of what I said that day in that, uh, you know, in, in that speech has actually come true. I think we have become uh, a program that's, uh, you know, that, that is a contender, a legitimate national contender and a national program. And, you know, this, this speech was a little bit different. That one was that, that whole run was, Hey, we're just happy to be here. And we didn't know what the heck we were doing and just kept winning. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be easy. We made it look easy sometimes, but, uh, you know, this one was, was, was a little bit different because, you know, we knew we belonged. We knew we had a chance and, uh, you know, and an opportunity and didn't happen. Uh, but the but the same basic tenants, proud of what they did and what they accomplished, and and we want to do more. And so I think there was uh, some similarities between the two. When you came on board, you had the the hashtag four in four, and while you pointed out that you know you didn't quite make that exact goal, it was four in five, and it, which is incredibly respectable, of course. How do you think setting specific and measurable goals? for your team and and laying it out that you think this is a real possibility. Some people can back away from stuff like that because they don't want to put too much pressure, especially the situation you came into trying to kind of build up a program. But how did that help spe- setting that specific goal? Well, I, can't, I think it kept us focused as a staff. That was mainly for the staff. Uh, we wanted to recruit Final Four caliber players. We wanted to act each day in a Final Four kind of way. And it kept us, uh, one of our favorite sayings is a vision so powerful, it has to become a reality. And we have that in our locker room. We have that in our offices, that, that statement. And so I think the four and four was just, uh, you know, it was part of that. We, we had that vision. We wanted to be a final four program. And I, and I, and I look back and I'm not necessarily thinking that we thought, let's get to the final four in four years. It was more, we want to be a final four program, uh, caliber in four years and it kept us motivated as a staff it kept us you know driving towards something and um you know and i think it's, it's pretty neat that uh that you know we were able to do it in five years uh, but we were certainly a final four contender in you know three or four years so uh, i really credit my staff you know i i don't think uh assistant coaches dobos video people i don't think they get enough credit uh, they do a lot of work, and my staff has just been uh, been phenomenal. And I really, you know, appreciate everything they've done. But we've been in this thing together, and uh, like I said, that was that was our mantra early on. And I guess now we got to find something different. I guess so. You're the loosest team. You're always the loosest team that anybody's going to see, and that can be in stark contrast to some coaching styles out there. I was going to ask if you recruit players that do well in that type of environment. And maybe we can get to that in a second. But let's talk about coaches. When you're looking for coaches, when you're looking for support staff, do you specifically look for someone that can thrive in that sort of environment? Absolutely. Uh, to me, that's critical. Uh, you know, I like life lovers, you know, people who just, uh, they, you can tell they enjoy what they do. Uh, they're people, people to me, that's critical. And you look at some of the coaches that, that I've had on my staffs over the years who are now head coaches. You look at J.R. Payne at the University of Colorado. I don't know if she, to this day, has ever had a bad day in her life. She played for me at St. Mary's, coached with me in Zag, and I've watched her climb the coaching ladder. She's amazing. Nicole Powell, same thing at Grand Canyon. Uh, Lisa Fortier at, uh, at Gonzaga. Those are 
they're positive people who uh, who believe in developing relate great relationships with players and and to you know the honest truth is I think that's what sets us apart from a lot. Uh, we have really good relationships with our players. It's uh, uh, you know it's not us against them. It's it's not some kind of a power thing. I truly believe we're we're pulling the rope in the same direction. We're all together, and I think that's one of the reasons you know Sabrina decided to stay in that another year. She really enjoys a her teammates. She enjoys the University of Oregon. Uh, I think she really enjoys the coaching that she's getting and just the entire experience. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I really like having people who have just a, a positive outlook on life that surround me each and every day. And, uh, you know, that's important because that's, you know, how I try to be. And in the grand scheme of things, what we do isn't rocket science, and we should be enjoying it. I don't care at what level you play from second grade YMCA ball all the way through the pros. You know, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. Life's short, and if you don't, find something else to do. And so we try to seek out those kind of players. I think that's what's made our program, I think, different and special. That is awesome. Let's dive into Sabrina. How did you feel that she handled some of that talk at the end of the season where, you know, reporters are pointing out scouts from the WNBA, they're here to look at you. You might be the number one pick. She answered those questions to perfection. How did you feel like she handled it behind the scenes? How did she deal with all that? I think she was great all year. I I don't think at any point she let it bother her, um, you know, all the talk. You know, she gets a ton of attention and has since the day she stepped on on campus, you know, after a a long, long recruitment. Uh, But she, uh, I I thought, was a great teammate. I think that she was the best teammate she's ever been this season with so much pressure on her, so much notoriety and, and things like that. So she comported herself so well the entire season, all the way right down to the end where she made that decision. What she wrote in the Players Tribune and that, that was published the day she made her final decision to come back, I think was one of the most well-written and provocative pieces that, you know, and I read the Players Tribune, uh, you know, that I've read. I, I thought it was phenomenal that a young young woman, uh, you know, still 21 years old, is, is able to make that kind of a decision in the way she did. And, you know, and, and let's face it, unless there's another Zion, coming down the pike on, on the men's side, you know, she may be the most recognizable figure in college basketball, men or women. You know, she's a household name. You say Sabrina, I think everybody on, you know, anywhere in basketball, they know who you're talking about. I agree with you completely, and I, I think that's just so amazing for your program. But it puts, uh, let's be honest, it puts a certain pressure, uh, or it could, okay, let's let's step back and say, yeah, absolutely, you, you guys, I'm sure, can handle it. But it p- puts a pressure on Sabrina. It puts a pressure on the team next year as well, where people are al- already saying, some, that you know, you're know you the favorites to win the national championship next year. It's a different position, but what is your thought going in as maybe kind of the hunted next year? Well, and I think that's, and you brought up the point a couple of questions ago, uh, I think that's the beauty of kind of who we are and the kind of people we have. I don't think that pressure is going to uh, going to affect us negatively. You know, we had pressure on us this year. We had high expectations. Uh, we did two years ago after that Elite Eight run. You know, we suddenly were a, a top five program in the preseason and picked to win the Pac-12 and all that. And we had a phenomenal year. And then your leader, when you have somebody like Sabrina, who is – you know, really kind of above that and just has fun with whatever attention she gets and pressure she might feel. She has fun with it. 
she doesn't mind when people kind of hate on her in, in social media. She'll fight right back. She'll say something back. It, it doesn't affect her. So, no, I, I think it's, it's going to be fine. We're not going to change. I told people, I, I've told them for years, I said, you know, if I ever get to a Final Four or win a national championship or whatever, and if I change and act differently, I said, you, you know, you have free license to kick my butt. You know, just whack me upside the head. Because that's just not who we are. I don't think we'll change. We'll be the same happy-go-lucky team that we always are. And if you look at the other players on our team, like a Ruthie Hebert, she may be the most humble superstar you'll ever meet. And you never see her where she doesn't have the biggest smile on her face. You know, she just goes about her work and and enjoys it. And and I I just, uh, again, I just don't think that will change due to, to any external expectations. Because we've always expected a lot of ourselves. And... And try to achieve as as you know great a team as as we can. We don't set a goal. We will not have a goal this year uh, written anywhere that you'll see in our locker room or anywhere else that says we want to win a national championship. That's our goal. Our goal has and always will be. We want to get better each and every day. We certainly know we're good enough, you know, to to win one. But that's not going to be our focus each and every day. It's fascinating stuff, Coach. I kind of put it out to the staff at Her Hoop Stats. What What do you want to know about? And somebody brought up that they, they really want to know about uh, about Satu Sabali. Just how good can she be not only at this level, and how do you see her projecting uh, to the next level as well? Well, I think she's uh, got a chance to be a superstar, um, and we're starting to see it. You know, as a freshman, she came in here, you know, coming from Germany, uh, where the level of play isn't, you know, real high. Um, And unfortunately, she was always in that group that was winning European championships so that the people in the years beneath her could then enjoy the fruits of her labor by getting into the A division championships and then the world championship. She was never able to do all that because teams ahead of her hadn't qualified them so she has not been on a on a on that international stage that a lot of people are and and um and so you know she was kind of an unknown coming in and her first year here you could tell she was uh you know just trying to fill things out and and, and just figure it out and she was mainly a uh, spot a catch and shoot shooter uh, maybe a straight line driver from time to time uh, in that one year, you know, last year she became uh, much ag- more aggressive, you know, all the, all the way around. You know, she was a much better rebounder, especially on the offensive glass. Um, she was still a, a tremendous three-point shooter, but now started to attack the basket and get to the basket a lot more. I think the next phase of her development is being more of a facilitator. You know, now she's a, she's a great finisher when she when she drives, but she is an amazing passer. And has great vision, and and so I think you're going to see her take her game now to that level, and uh, you know, with some Sabrina-like qualities, being able to to to, to penetrate and create for others. Uh, but I, I think at six four, her length, her feel for the game, everything that she's blessed with physically, I think is uh, really allows her to to to, to be a star. And uh, we're expecting big things from her this year. She's got to get better defensively. Um, you know, I think a lot, most kids do in college, uh, to, to really succeed at the next level. But I, I think she's really made for the pro game because, uh, she's gonna, she's a matchup advantage, uh, most nights, uh, for your team, for our team. And, you know, just 
again, worlds of talent. And, and perhaps, John, perhaps the most interesting player and socially aware player I have ever coached in my, I guess this year will be my 33rd year of college coaching. She is so brilliant. And I tell her all the time, she's going to be the prime minister of Germany one day if that's what she wants to do, because she is that smart. Tell me just a little bit more about that. What do you hear her talking about? What do you hear you know, her bring up that and maybe even takes you back or surprises you in a good way sometimes? Um, well, all the social issues of the day you know, that, that we have here in this country, uh, from guns, from gun violence to uh, uh, racial equality to uh, gender discrimination. I mean, she is aware. She's smart. She understands you know, the politics. Uh, she was chosen this year as a sophomore to be our PAC 12 female representative to, uh, for the SAC meetings in, uh, in Florida. So she actually stayed in Florida after the final four and then went as one of only two PAC 12 representatives. There was a young man from Washington that was also chosen. I mean, um, you know, she's in our leadership here on, on campus. You know, she's just aware and is not afraid to speak out. If you look at her Instagram posts, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's putting things out there that, that are controversial. She doesn't always comment on them, but she's, you know, at least putting them out as for awareness. Um, and just she's interesting. I mean, you know, she's curious. Uh, and I'll give you a, a perfect example. We played at Louisville her freshman year. And while we're in Louisville, I took the team down to the Muhammad Ali Museum which, uh, you know, I would suggest anybody who's in Louisville go, go do that. He was my f- favorite athlete of all time. And so I took the team down there, and a lot of the players, you know, after about an hour or whatever, they're, they're kind of bored. They want to leave. You can tell they're just standing around. They're not into it. And not Satu. She was asking questions. She was making sure she saw every exhibit. I mean, to that, it really spoke to her, and, and she's just curious that way. So uh, and that was really powerful. Here's a young lady from Germany. You know, yeah. uh, learning about an American citizen like that. And, and, uh, but it was a powerful experience for her. She's, that's just who she is. How is, have things changed from a coaching perspective just with social media? I, I'm sure you've always wanted your players to be socially aware if they're into that sort of thing. But have you ever found yourself asking a player to, to pull back from, from what they're, they're talking about? Or has that evolved? here over the last, I don't know, even, uh, even four or five years? Um, no, I, I have never been one of those who's told my team to stay off social media. Um, uh, a couple of times during a couple of different seasons, I've told them I don't want them getting on social media on game day. Um, you know, they can get on and post something like, hey, it's game day, come out to the game, but not to respond in a back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have told Sabrina a couple of times, or just not told her, I don't tell her anything, but I just have suggested to her that, you know, she kind of go easy and not worry about the replies, you know, and answering people, uh, especially those that, that come at her a little bit or come at the, the sport of women's basketball. Um, but I, I, I think that social I, there's so many so much good that can be done in social media. And, and let's face it, these young women are in the spotlight. You know, we have a lot of uh, eyes on our basketball team. We've become quite a popular team. And so I think social media gives them a chance to, uh, you know, to make a positive difference, to, to get out there, to build their brand. 
you know, sad to, you know, Sabali, who was not on Twitter as of just a few months ago. And, and I said, you know, it's a great way to build your brand. I mean, you're popular. People want to hear from you and, and, and know about you. And so she's gotten on it. I, I don't think she's that active. As most people on Twitter, once they get on, it takes a little while to get a feel for it. But I, but I think that's important. And look at the, uh, you know, look at what Sabrina is bringing. Uh, here's a great example. You know, she goes up to a Warriors game. She's obviously a big Warriors fan. Uh, she's invited down to the locker room after because of some friends. She meets Steph Curry. Steph Curry knows all about her and mm. her game and knows who she is. And Steph puts on in, on his Instagram a picture of the two of them together, him pointing to her with a goat emoji. Well, that night, Sabrina got like 4,000 new Instagram followers just from that post. And she's continued to climb ever since. And and I, I think that's important. There's no doubt it is. And, uh, man, it's just fascinating stuff, how the world has really opened up. And uh, you mentioned the popularity of your team as well. Uh, I know social media has a lot to do with that. I, I know that Shea Serrano is a, a big fan of you guys as oh, yeah. well. So what's that relationship like? Well, Shea's terrific. I mean, it was in our run a couple of years ago uh, that he kind of jumped on board with, with this team. Uh, and he's great. I mean, I've always been a fan of his, I've read his book, you know, basketball and other things. And I have three sons who are all about basketball. I mean, they are really into it from the high school college to the pro level. They know everything about it. It's like they're, they're fascinated. Uh, and they've always loved Chase Serrano. So when he, you know, started following our team, of course that they got really excited, but he, but he's been great. And we had him up last year to our season opener. Uh, he came up and spoke with the journalism department, but he was our guest at uh, pregame meals and postgame meals and, you know, in, in the locker room during the uh, pregame speech. And he was on the front row sitting with my boys at that game. It was pretty cool. And I think uh, he's now be actually become a fan of w the women's game. I think he's jumped in on the WNBA and, and tweets about that a lot. And he's uh, just a great voice for social justice, you know, as well as basketball, but a, a, a great author, great. Uh, I, I think humanitarian in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Jumping around here just a little bit, because I didn't want to get too far away from this. Uh, you were talking yeah, no about worries. recruiting overseas and sometimes not being able to, uh, you know, uh, see these players against the greatest competition. Uh, how tough does that make to judge talent and how do you overcome that when you are recruiting overseas? Yeah, it, well, it's just it's more Difficult, you know, it's like watching a, you, you watch a lot of video, you know, on them and, and, you know, wherever you might get it. And you just can never tell what the competition is like. So you do have to see them in person as often as possible. And quite frankly, the logistics are just difficult. Uh, a lot of times they play in a pro league and the, and the NCAA, you know, as far as I know, the NCAA rules say that you can't go out and watch, uh, you know, a pro game, so to speak. So it's hard to, to watch them play in, in person. Uh, unless they're in some kind of an international, you know, FIBA international competition. But yeah, you know, and it's with with the distance from home. I, I think there's, uh, you know, it's sometimes can be difficult. Uh, we had two, I thought, very promising young players last, uh, see, in 2018-19 that were freshmen on our team. One from Australia and one from Spain, both left after a year, and and, and now are back home because you know it. it a lot of different factors it's it's difficult being that far away from home and oftentimes speaking a different language you know you, you have to have some proficiency in English uh, but 
you know, a lot of these players don't. That can be difficult. Absolutely, it can. And, and especially when you're trying to recruit them to an idea, like you said, you know, that this positive idea. Do you use a translator during that time or how do you try to sell that? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I look at Maite Cazorla, who right now is playing for the Dream and, uh, and doing well. She was uh, one of two seniors that we had on, this, on last year's team. Uh, you know, she came in here from Spain and did not know much English. You know, and thank goodness, one of my, uh, my assistant strength coach at the time, uh, Xavi Lopez, who is now one of my assistants, uh, is from Spain. Is from Barcelona, speaks Spanish. And thank goodness, you know, he had to, to translate to her a lot that first year. And then she just got better and better and better at English. Uh, and what's, what's really cool is she's flying back, the Atlanta dream, and, and God bless him for doing this, allowed her to fly back this weekend so she can walk at graduation. That was something that was really important for her. So, uh, yeah, you know, and, but I, we used to always joke. I used to joke with Maite, but we, we both speak the language of basketball, which in the end is the most important anyway. So, yeah, you just got to play, uh, you know, you, you just got to do the best you can early on. And, and if, if they know their teammates love them, and uh, and are understanding and speak slower or whatever they need to do, you know what, it, it all works out in the end. Now, Coach Graves, I think you're selling yourself short because I've got this Wendy's commercial right here that says oh, that you no. speak a little <laughs> bit of Spanish. Wendy's wants me to make a real earth-shaking statement about the new big classic green chili cheeseburger. Then Wendy's says, say it with feeling. Talk about it just the way it tastes. Kelly Graves for Wendy's big classic green chili cheeseburger. Mmm. Que caliente, sabroso. Wendy's Big Classic Green Chili Cheeseburger. Expect coupons in your mail and in Friday's Journal Entertainer. Un poquito picoso. Little nibble? What's that all about? How did that, how did that develop back in the day? And how much heat do you take randomly for this, uh, for this Wendy's commercial where, uh, you know, you're, you're bilingual in the thing? Yeah, well, thanks to your podcast now, I'll get a new wave of people <laughs> bothering me about it. Uh, no, I, I played at the University of New Mexico. And by the way, great place to, to, to go. I, I loved my time there. Um, and I, I, yeah, I spoke Spanish and uh, that was, you know, well, well known down there. And so Wendy's approached me, they had an idea and, and they had me do this uh, uh, commercial for their, I think it was the Wendy's Green chili cheeseburger, which, by the way, phenomenal. Green chili on a hamburger is, is terrific. Heck, yeah. And uh, and so I did it. It was a hit. They ended up having me do another one, uh, more in a coaching role, because by then I'd become an assistant coach at New Mexico, a graduate assistant, while I was working on my uh, on my degree. And, uh, yeah, it, was, it, it, it had legs early on. In fact, I went back there about a year later and – I saw it run on one of the stations that year. So it, it hung around a little bit. And the best thing was is they, uh, uh, they gave me a, a Wendy's gold card. I could eat free Wendy's anywhere in Albuquerque for the whole year. And for a college kid, are you kidding me? That was big time. Oh, that is outstanding. So I, that is I outst- used that a lot for sure. And I was even checking out the prices back then. You were you were hawking a value meal that was only two ninety nine back then, and comparing <laughs> it to like Burger King and McDonald's was a little over three dollars, and that's just too much to pay for a college student, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, you looked for the one ninety nine specials, the full meal. Yeah, different different time, but 
Uh, we had some fun with it, and, uh, and yeah, it was it was good times, good times. That is that is awesome. Thanks for talking about that with us. Um, I, I want to talk about your coaching style. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that. You know, I, X's and O's wise is more what I'm talking about here. Did you look for other coaches to model after, or how did this develop uh, your current playing style, both offensively and defensively? T- tell us the story of how you brought it all together. I guess I, I didn't really talk to anybody specifically about what I do. I, I, I do talk to coaches a lot, you know, uh, about their philosophies or tweak. But, uh, you know, it's just something that I've kind of developed over the years. And I tell young coaches, you know, when I speak to young coaches to say, it's okay to steal this and steal that and steal this from, from other coaches. You know, it's 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 proven uh, that it works, et cetera, et cetera. I said, and if you, you steal from everybody and you coach long enough, you start tweaking what you do a little bit. And then after several years, it becomes your own, right? You've changed it so much from what it was originally. It becomes your own stuff. And I think that's what's happened. You know, I, I started out as a community college coach um, uh, on the men's side. And I played for uh, or played actually for him. And then he later became the community college coach, uh, Mark Poth. And he was a very offensive-minded coach i mean that's what he built his whole uh his whole program on and uh, and i enjoyed it and learned a lot from him and and took some of those principles and then i went and uh, coached with jim sollers uh from the university of portland who was a player's coach he was like a father figure to everybody on the team and had great perspective in in his life and he was more than just a coach and i learned a lot from him the five years i was i was with him and then uh, you know went to saint mary's was my first head job in division one. And, and I had, how's this talent that I walked into in terms of basketball IQ, Tracy Morris, who's now Tracy Sanders, who's the head coach at Southern Utah university and J.R. Payne, the head coach now at university of Colorado were on my team at that point. So I had two division one head coaches as players uh, on that first team. And they, and I learned a lot from them. And then when I got to, to Gonzaga, you know, I was coaching now a certain style, and then I, a young. It was more of a high-low blocker mover stuff, which would I was pretty comfortable with. And then a young lady by the name of Courtney Vandersloot comes along, and uh, and then a, an older gentleman by the name of John Stockton's in my gym every day, uh, <laughs> where I get a chance to talk to him and and become friends with him. And so I, I put those two together and and start running the pick and roll back in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Uh, and, and trying to figure out, you know, how to do it better. You know, so it just kind of evolved. Uh, I've been a one-two-two fan defensively for a long, long time. And the only reason why is my first year at Gonzaga, or my first recruiting class at Gonzaga was pretty slow. Or my point guard, you know, was kind of kind of slow, and we had to protect her. So, uh, you know, I brought up a couple of wings, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of close the driving lanes. Sure, uh, and and had her play back a little bit, and and and, and ended up liking uh, the the one two two. So I've kind of stuck with it, got better and better at it. So you know, it's kind of a, f- a funny your 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 system and 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 all that just kind of evolves given the the, the personnel that you have. You know, the, again, the coaches that have influenced me, and and I always say, you know, if you went into our locker rooms, that's why. If you've noticed, I'm not one of those coaches that allows a camera in the locker room before the game mm. because I'm not a big rah-rah guy. I have an assistant, Mark Campbell, who's awesome at it, and I let him take that part in the uh, you know in the pregame war- um, speech. 
but I'm a more cerebral guy. I put up on the board, this is what we want to do. These are the keys to success uh, and just kind of go through it methodically. I don't give that uh, win one for the Gipper kind of speech. And, and, I, and I learned that from my coach, Gary Colson, who I played for at the University of New Mexico, very cerebral and, and matter-of-fact guy. This is how we're going to do it. And, uh, and if, we, if we win, we're going to be humble. If we lose, we're going to be sad. And, uh, you know, and I, and I like that. So you learn a little bit from, from everybody. So I, I would encourage any young coach that's listening to this, find a system that you like. And, and then make it your own. I look at some of these coaches who, you know, they run this offense this year. And then the next off year, they run something else. The new, oh, I'm going to run dribble drive this year. And then I'm going to run triangle. And whatever the hot new uh, offense is, they run. And so guess what? They have 12 freshmen every year because they're reteaching it to everybody. I think one of the reasons we look so fluid is because the day our players come on campus, they're running the exact same thing or philosophy-wise, is the day they leave. Hmm. And so your seniors can and juniors can teach the young kids the nuances and the ins and outs. And, and so if you watch us play it, we look like a team that's been playing together for a long, long time. We take care of the ball. We're always in motion. And, uh, and I think that's just because we, we stick to who we are and how we play. That is awesome. I, I that's saw, a long answer. I, I really apologize. That was a long, long answer. That's the great thing. That's the great thing about podcasts. You know, they can listen as long as they want. If they wanted to tune out during that thing, then that's up to them. It's fascinating to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I tell okay. you that. Well, hopefully, hopefully you didn't have some clicks. They didn't click onto something else. No, I, I doubt it. I doubt it very, very highly because they'd miss out on this next question. Um, the men's basketball game moved the three-point line back. The women's game probably probably will down the line. Of course, they're going to do it for postseason play. Uh, just uh, happened to, upon the tweet from you a couple days ago uh, that that you would like to see that three-point line uh, move back this year. Tell me about why you feel that way and, uh, and, and what do you think it's going to mean for the women's game when it does happen? Well, I think it's going to happen uh, at some point. I, I don't think there's any question about that, and it should. We should be at the same line as, uh, you know, uh, international basketball. I, I, I like it moved back because I think you, you take out some of the pretenders in shooting the three. You know, you're really good shooters. The ones who should be taking those shots are taking it well beyond the line anyway, as it is now. Uh, and it won't affect the really good shooters at all. But I think it might take away from those that are just kind of, eh, maybe kind of shooters at the three-point line. Uh, I, I don't like the fact there's going to be some confusion now on the basketball court. You're going to see a couple of different lines. That's going to, you know, that, that'll be confusing to, uh, to a bunch. Uh, and plus, let's face it, it's going to give those women's basketball haters out there you know, some, some fodder. Oh, they, they have to shoot from a shorter line. You know, they can't even shoot from the big person line, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But I, I just think it'll help the game. It'll spread the court even more. Uh, I think that, you know, people who say the shooting percentages, um, you know, will go down if the line is, is put back. I'm not sure that the data is going to back that up. I, I think it'll give more driving opportunities to people and, and then I think, like I said before, the people who should be taking three-pointers will still take them. Those that shouldn't have been in the first place probably won't anymore. So it actually might raise the overall shooting percentage. You know, that, that remains to be seen. 
but I, I just think, uh, you know, we, 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 we should be there. We should be consistent with the men's game. And I'm going to take it a step further. I think we should have a 24-second clock. I mean, we're the only entity other than, let's say, American high schools and, and, uh, or, or Scholastic. Uh, we're the only college basketball is the only entity in the world that doesn't play with a 24-second clock. Why? You know, why? <laughs> we It hasn't hurt us in an international ball when we play in these competitions. So I think that should be the next step. I think we should adopt the 24-second shot clock as well. Well, and it, it gets, uh, you know, everybody, whether it be the men or the women, you know, more ready for pro ball. It makes that transition a lot easier, I would think. I think so, too, and it puts premium on execution. You know, uh, there might be a few more bad shots by teams that, that don't execute very well, but... I think you're exactly right. I think it makes you get into your stuff quicker, uh, and I think it makes the game more fluid uh, with the 24-second clock. And, and you know, and for us, you know, it's really funny. We were third in the nation in scoring last year and overall scoring, uh, but we were only 246th in pace of play. So it's not like we're a fast break, get up and down the floor. In fact, we're toward the bottom in points out of transition. Which is crazy. So, uh, but but we're so effective. We were number one in the nation in points per possession uh, because of our our effectiveness in the half court, and uh, and so that's why I think I'm a real proponent of the 24 second clock. I think it'll make the whole game better. Sounds like you're also a proponent of uh, of taking a look at some of these new stats as well. Um, <laughs> you know, how is that? Uh, you know, and and like you're saying, points per possession. That's not just an extremely next level stat these days, but probably would have been you know five ten years ago. How have you taken a liking to the changes in statistical information and analysis over the course of your coaching tenure? Well, I, I have embraced it. You know, you know, the funny thing is I haven't really embraced it like in baseball, all these new stats that they keep. <laughs> you know, I'm a traditional home runs, RBIs, batting average. Uh, but uh, I, I love them in basketball because it, it, they can mean so much. And here, let me give you an example. I think everybody, um, and, and I get comments all the time about how much fun they they have watching us play we play an exciting brand of basketball and and because of our scoring numbers i think people think we're just a a fast break get it up and down team we're not we're not pace of play john we were 246th so about 68.9 possessions per 40 minutes and a couple of reasons for that okay we were first in a in the nation in turnover percentage at 12.5 the average for women's basketball is about 19.5. Mm-hmm. Second place was 13.4. So we were almost an entire percentage point ahead of second place. There's your efficiency right there. There's the efficiency. And we don't turn people over a lot. And so so what happens is, you know, the short possessions in a game come from turnovers. And, and so when we're not turning it over and our opponents aren't turning it over that much, you're not going to get as many possessions. And so it's a clean, clean game. And so that's why we can be third in the nation in scoring, but 246th in pace of play because we're very, very efficient once we get into the half court. That's fascinating stuff to me, too. I, I just love it. And it, But you, your team is exciting. And, and with good reason, you guys have been able to grow the attendance all the way up over 7,000 a game 
uh, last year. Matthew Knight Arena, just a, a beautiful place uh, to watch a basketball game for sure. Uh, but you guys have brought uh, that excitement to it. Uh, over 7,000 fans a game this last year. So you've got a lot of backers and you've got some players that are going to be stars at the next level uh, pretty soon. What do you think the key is for transporting some of these rabid college basketball fans on the on the women's side to WNBA lovers as well because there there does seem to be a disconnect there and people are trying to bridge that gap from your uh, estimation what what do you think uh, needs to happen well you know i don't know unfortunately i just i don't know um i think the time of the year that they play you know, hurts. It's it's a little bit more difficult. It's not traditional basketball season. I think the fact that a lot of the players and certainly a lot of the stars leave during the WNBA offseason to go to different countries. And so they don't have a chance to really build the brand and their personal brand and the team brand and the league brand during the offseason by making appearances and and you know, it's that top of the top of the mind awareness. You know, look at the NBA. When the NBA is not in season, you're still reading about the NBA every day because number one, you're seeing the players endorse things on TV. Number two, you're you're talking about uh, you know upcoming training camps or you're talking about free agency or trades or anything like that. You don't get that off season buzz with the WNBA because they're in you know Lithuania or Korea or Russia playing. And so you kind of forget about them in the off season, which is an issue. They should they should be paid more. I don't know what the answer is because there is economic, you know, uh, they're just not bringing in the money. Let's say the NBA guys are obviously, but uh, other than that, you know, I, I don't know. I think the league uh, with the, the the new commissioner, I think, is going to help. They can maybe have a plan going forward. The talent is incredible in the league, and I tell people, I, I spoke last night to a group of Oregon, you know, uh, donors and boosters, and I said and talked about Maite and how how great it is that she made a roster this year. You know, in the NBA, there's over 400 players. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have the injured reserve that they can kind of keep around. Well, there's 144 jobs in the WNBA. It is a hard league to make, you know, and that, that should be, I think, championed and heralded. And, and unfortunately, it's just not enough. You know, I, I, I don't know. The Most of the people that I know in the, in the league do the right things. They, they try to market it the best they can. I, I just think there's some forces going against them. But hopefully, you know, all those barriers will be broken down. Uh, you know, little by little, and and hopefully someday soon. That's a very viable league in terms of you know the social uh, landscape. And in 2020, they'll have Sabrina, so that'll help for sure. <laughs> and you know what? And that will help for sure. There's no question about it. She is one popular player. Uh, yeah. it, that first matchup between Sabrina and Courtney Vandersloot. Who you got? How do you break that down? I know it's more than a year away. Hey, they might even end up being teammates. You never know how it's going to break down. But uh, that that first time that they go up against each other, uh, what is the old coach going to be watching for? Well, I'll definitely be there. That is for sure. Uh, I can't believe that Courtney this year is like in her ninth season. It's amazing what she's done. Um, No, I love them both and communicate with both of them uh, as often. Well, obviously, I communicate with Supreme all the time, but (laughs) I, 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 you know, get together with Courtney every time I'm in Chicago. She's just an incredible player. And, uh, man, I I, I love them both. And, And, you know, I owe a lot to them. And they both are, were on similar tracks from in, in their schools. You know, before Courtney got to Gonzaga, we were a good program, certainly a program on the rise. 
but when she left the program, we were selling the the kennel at six thousand fans out every night. Mm. We became a national brand. That those Gonzaga teams were were again really popular. Uh, she had done something that no player in Division One had ever done. Karen Barefoot had, had done it in non-Division One, but men's or women's, Courtney Vandersloot's the only player in college basketball Division One history to get two thousand points and one thousand assists, uh, and it's never been done since. But it's about and, to be. And then, yep. But Sabrina's on pace and a pretty pedestrian pace to to become the second to do it, plus add a thousand rebounds. Those are iconic numbers, and I don't think that's the reason she came back, but it's certainly something that I know she she is aware of. So, yeah, those two are pretty special, and um, and and what Courtney did in building that Gonzaga brand, and they haven't gone away. That's still a, an excellent program. Sabrina has helped do here, obviously with other players, and look at the excitement when she first got here. We were drawing about maybe. 1200 a night and now we're selling you know we sold out a, a, a couple of games this last year we go to the portland regional they have over eleven thousand both nights up there it's kind of the same trajectory from both of them absolutely uh how are those ticket sales looking for next year i think pretty good we're already up a thousand season tickets as of i think just uh it was late last week that i asked our ticket person so we averaged about 7,700 this last year, and, and my guess is we're going to be over nine on average this, this coming. That's kind of what they're expecting. They think we could even pass the 10,000 a night threshold. So pretty cool to see what's happened here. And I think for any young coach, there's a couple of things. Number one, make sure you engage with your fans. I'll go anywhere, especially early. I was going to every Rotary, Lions Club, Chamber of Commerce, I mean, whatever I could to get people excited about my program. Number two, we're accessible. My players stay after every game and sign autographs. We did that at Gonzaga. That becomes, you know, an important part of it. You want that, those in, that engagement with the fans, not just from the from the coaches, but from the players, and uh, and play a style that uh, that people like to watch. And uh, and I think you know you can really grow a, a fan base anywhere. Coach, we cannot thank you enough for your time. I feel like we could go on forever. Thank you so much for your time and just, uh, like you said, for being so accessible today. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. and Thanks for doing what you do. I, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the people that are championing women's basketball out there uh, broadly, and, uh, and it's needed and, and appreciated. Wow, that is Kelly Graves, the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, joining us here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. So appreciate his time, 50 minutes or so of a back and forth there, and I really felt like we could have gone on and on. He's just so easy to talk to and answered every question wonderfully. Thank you to Kelly Graves. And if you want to reach out to Coach Graves, I would encourage you to do so. Just thank him for his time on the podcast and for giving some of his wisdom. As we move on in the show, I want to introduce you to one of our key players on the HerHoopStats.com website. Her name is Megan Gower, and we are an entirely volunteer-run website because we love women's basketball, and Megan is one of the lovers of the game as well. So listen to a little bit about Megan's story. Sure. So when the website started, I think it was not this past college basketball season, but the one before, I subscribed really early 
Um, I was a big fan of Kempom on the men's side, so I was really excited to see something kind of similar on the women's side. And around the time of like the tournament that year, I had reached out to Aaron, who runs the site, just because I was curious and learning more about learning more about basketball analytics and kind of seeing what they were doing. Um, and somehow that ended up turning into a volunteering um, position. So I've been with the site ever since. What speaks to you about analytics? What about your background says, I like analytics? Um, so I was actually a math major in college, and then I work as an actuary full-time now. So what I do today deals a lot with analytics. I have also always loved basketball. I went to UConn, so that's a lot of where my love for college basketball comes from. So kind of all linked together. I got you. That makes a total sense then. Yeah, the UConn <laughs> connection for sure. For you as a UConn fan, have you always been – a WNBA fan as well. What's your connection between a marquee program in the college ranks and then uh, trying to follow uh, these ladies as they move on? Sure. So I've been a UConn fan for as long as I can remember. I grew up on it living in Connecticut, but I kind of started to get into the WNBA really after college. Um, was interested in kind of following some of the players that I watched through my college career at the next level and then from there have gotten even more into it and now would call myself more of a Connecticut Sun fan than instead of just following the old UConn players but that's also a part of it as I love getting to see the players that I watched through college play at the next level. I love it. So tell me about your favorite, uh, first of all, your favorite UConn memory. I mean, there are so many championships, so many titles, so many big games over the years but certainly one's got to stand out above the rest. What is it for you? Yeah, so I think for me, it has to be um, 2014. So I was in school then, and the woman won, and then also the men won. So it was just like a huge celebration on campus. Everyone was super into it. Um, it was a really exciting time to be at UConn and following both of those basketball programs. What's your take on the uh, Big East rumors? How are you feeling <laughs> about that? I am very excited about it. Um, I know a lot of things this year with the tournament, with UConn not getting the one seed, a lot of us talked about with their conference strength schedule. So I think it's going to be great for the women's team to be playing in a more difficult conference and also just stack against some old, more local rivals. It should be a lot of fun to watch. And then with the Sun this year, what a terrific start they've gotten off to this year. In your estimation, as now as a math nerd and an analytics nerd and those sort of things, what do you think they're doing particularly well this year that uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the naked eye is not seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think they're doing great on the rebounding, which they always have. They've always been a really strong rebounding team. Um, and I think that helps them put themselves a level above everyone else. But I think a lot of it is also just the continuity in their starting lineup. Even though they lost uh, Shanae Gumake, they still brought in John Paul Jones, who has played in that start starting lineup before. So they kind of have a core of five players there that have been together for a while. And I think they just flow a lot better than some of the other teams which have had so many changes in this offseason. Oh, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. So uh, you also do our rankings each week, our power rankings is what we call them. And, um, you know, we're one of a, a handful of sites that do them. And everybody's got their different ways that they look at it and uh, measure it for you. 
what do you look at? What uh, speaks out to you besides just the win-loss record? Yeah, so in addition to just the team's records, wins, losses, I also look at offensive rating and defensive rating to kind of get a better idea of how each team is doing on each end of the floor, as well as their net rating. So the kind of difference between those two offensive and defensive ratings. And then I use most of the numbers to come up with the rankings, but each week I'll then take a step back and look at it from more of a perspective of someone who watches the game than seeing if there's anyone that seems to fall in a spot that doesn't make a lot of sense um, and how things should move in that way as well. For somebody that's not totally into the stats thing, why why do you look at offensive and defensive rating as opposed to just points per game and amount of points they're giving up? Right. So offensive and defensive rating takes into account the number of possessions as well. So points per game, someone might score 80 points per game, which might look higher than some another team's 75. But if they just have more possessions, um, they're not necessarily as efficient. So it kind of measures not just the production of like points per game or points given up, but also the efficiency on each end of the floor. Gotcha. Well, as we continue to try to grow the women's game, both WNBA and college-wise, how do you think that sites like Her Hoop Stats and other sites that are really into the women's game and specializing in the women's game uh, play a role in helping to grow the game? Yeah, so I think on the analytics side, just having that information available is huge. I think kind of in the college game, especially before Her Hoop Stats came around, like there was really no access to um, advanced stats or anything kind of full beyond like points per game, rebounds per game, types of things you could get off of a box score. So just having that access to information is huge for being for people to be able to cover it more in depth and to create more content. And then as more generally the sites that just focus on women's basketball, I think it's huge to be able to have access to that content. You don't have to search for it as much. Like there was a time where like if you were following women's sports you really had to seek out what you're looking for. And now it's easier to look at that online and to go to a kind of central locations and be able to find that content. That's Megan Gower from HerHoopStats.com, one of the many great volunteers on this amazing website. And we thank you for being a part of it as well just by listening to this podcast. You're a part of HerHoopStats.com, so thank you so much. Make sure to rate us, review us, subscribe to us. We will be so appreciative of that. And, hey, reach out. Uh, let us know any pointers you have for continuing the show. Anybody you want to hear from, and we will absolutely effort it. And in addition to that, uh, make sure to let the guests of the podcast know that you enjoyed their time on the show. It helps them feel valued, and they absolutely should. Can't wait to have another one for you next week. So be back here next Monday. The announcer for the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis, Jared Deck on the music, jareddeckmusic.com. And Aaron Barzilai is the executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here at Her Hoop Stats, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. 